Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture podcast, where youth ministry and culture collide. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. Man, I am so glad to be here with you. I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, 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 and man, I do have said I'm glad 2022 is over. Uh huh. There's been so much stuff going on in 22 in my life, yep. in ministry, mm-hmm. and of course, you too, life and ministry as you're transitioning mm-hmm. uh, to a different role with Word of Life. And, yep. Uh, and it's nuts. So we've been inc- the most inconsistent year of releasing podcasts yeah. that I've ever had. Usually we're pretty, we're pretty on top of it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a weird most- year. Weird year, but like like we've shared uh, many many times, uh, we are about uh, family and ministry, uh, and then this is something we do on the side. That mm-hmm. uh, this is also a ministry to both of us as well. We don't get paid for what we're doing. Uh, this is all of all of us just pouring our heart into other pastors, mm-hmm. loving on youth leaders. Uh, but this is also a side ministry to our actual ministry, which is uh, yeah. student pastors in our local congregation. Yeah, and I think uh, didn't uh, we were talking about this off air? Um, didn't both of our families end the year with basically the last two weeks of the year? Like everybody in our family got sick at some point. Pretty much, yeah. So we, so so I I got I got uh, the COVID, mm, um, the COVID, the COVID during Christmas. I tested positive. It it was nothing. It was it was for me at least. It, it was kind of a kind of a joke. I, I didn't even know it. I, got, I had twenty four hours of just. Running a 99 degree fever, man, fatigued. that's so high. <laughs> yeah, so high, fatigued. <laughs> and the very next day, the very next day, f- um, Friday before Christmas, uh, felt fine, 100. Wow. But of course, uh, I was my in laws were coming in and they asked me to test just to be sure. So I tested and I and my wife told me, "Hey, you're positive." I was like, "No, I'm not." It's like, no, you're positive. I know like, I'm not. Throw that in the trash. Go away. Uh, <laughs> so I had to take. I took another test to try to prove her wrong. Then I ended up being wrong. Uh, tested positive again. I was like, what the junk? I feel fine. Um, Boy, you learned then, that lesson. You know the three hardest things for a husband to say. I'm right. No, that's easy for a husband to say. The three hardest things for a husband to say is, "You're right." I'm sorry. And Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so a, after me, my my oldest son uh, got sick, and oh. yeah, but but again, he had the same thing. He was fine. Uh, just mm-hmm. just was a little tired, uh, running a very low grade fever, if if that's a fever at all. And then my wife, yeah. uh, the following week, she she pretty much held off for about five or six days and when I, I left to go to extreme winter conference in gatlinburg tennessee with my with my uh some some students and uh she got sick the day i left and called me and she said yeah i tested positive for COVID. Oh, 
So I was like, I was texting people, asking them to keep an eye on her and checking on her, uh, uh, which which they did. She was taken care of while I was gone. But yeah, yep. dealing with a lot of a lot of a lot of sickness with the COVID. Well, um, even though the the year ended weirdly, it started off pretty well. Um, we're we're hitting the ground running on my end of things. But um, as of this morning. Um, I looked up um, my account with uh, my progress with Word of Life to see how I'm doing. And as of today, I have hit the first part of my initial goal um, to help get me launched to the field. So I'm pretty excited about that um, for monthly partnerships of people that are sending us to the field. We've hit our first goal. And um, uh, part A, I guess, part B is is slowly coming along as well. But uh, we have gotten enough monthly partnerships um, coming in that I'll be able to transition soon out of my job here as the youth pastor at my church and uh, into uh, full-time work with Raising Money with Word of Life. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the Lord's been blessing in some pretty incredible ways. And uh, if you are a youth pastor on the East Coast looking for another job, <laughs> um <laughs> The, we're still taking resumes, so uh, look it up on all the job posting boards that you normally would look at for that, and uh, you should see something up there for the Unity Baptist Church student pastor. Um, yeah, but the, do and, they have to be on the East Coast? You don't have to be on the East Coast, but um, it does help with moving expenses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, And we are a Word of Life church, so if you don't like Word of Life, then uh, need not apply. <laughs> Um, but I'm pretty excited today because uh, Ryan, you and I have had some probably probably for the last I don't know year year and a half we've had this recurring conversation about um, the state the current state of youth ministry and like where it's headed and um, the way things got emphasized when we were in youth ministry as students and now how things are now and um, the interview that you had uh, I think really drills home on a few of those issues. No, yeah, absolutely. We uh, got to talk to Jared Wilson um, about, about he wrote a, this book uh, a while ago, like years ago, but it's a book that has been on my list to read. And uh, I read it recently. We read it as a church staff. Uh, and I said, I really got to, to pick this guy's brain and talk <laughs> to him a little bit. Um, and it, it's, it's about his book, Gospel Driven Church. Uh, and we think when we think gospel driven gospel fluency in in a in church life and in, in in our ministries we we think okay most of us would say duh we should be doing that but in practicality a lot of churches don't and so we kind of hash hash this out uh, what is an attractional church compared to a gospel uh, centric church uh, what's the difference between the two we go into that a little bit. It was just a great conversation on um, where the church needs to be in in, in the realms of gospel. Mm. I'm excited, man. Well, guys, stay tuned for our interview with Jared Wilson.
Well, guys, I am super, super excited today. The, uh, we're actually going to be talking with somebody that has been on my bucket list uh, for a while to talk with, specifically um, on this topic of a gospel-driven church or gospel-driven ministry, and that is Jared uh, Wilson. Uh, so, Jared, how, how about you kind of uh, give us a little bit introduction of who you are, uh, what your, your journey in ministry, and what you're doing today? Sure. Gosh, uh, who who am I, man? That's a that's a that's a big question. You know, it's a very existential question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Jared Wilson. I uh, am a professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, I came to to uh, to work at the seminary uh, originally, work in the communications department, and help launch. Uh, a website and a resource arm called For the Church. Um, uh, uh, literally seven years ago, I was actually counting this up recently. It was 2015 that I started uh, at the seminary. Um, and then three or four years ago, I started teaching. So rolled over onto faculty, but, but came to the seminary world um, out of uh, pastoral ministry, was a pastor for a number of years, pastored a church in uh, in Vermont, uh, planted a church in Nashville, Tennessee before that, and um, prior to that worked in young adult ministry, college singles, uh, young adult ministry, and prior to that student ministry for a long time um, as, as well. Um, I also currently uh, direct a residency at my church um, Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Missouri, um, called the Pastoral Training Center for young men who are aspiring to uh, to pastoral ministry. It's an eighteen month discipleship intensive uh, residency program where we train young guys. Uh, I also write books and I uh, co-host a podcast uh, called Before the Church Podcast as well. And um, I guess that's me. I don't know. Is there more? I'm. I should share. I'm married to Becky. Uh, we've been married for uh, 26 years, be 27 years next year. We have two um, college-age daughters, Macy and Grace. They live in Pennsylvania. My older daughter, Macy, I don't know when this episode is coming out, but at the day of our recording, we're 30 days, we're 30 days from her getting married. So uh, got a big, big milestone coming up for us. Oh yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be really busy as a parent for the next couple of months. On the next month, I should say. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, really, my wife is. I just kind of am along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's usually how that's usually how it works. But uh, at least I was for my my uh, my wife's parents. But uh, yeah, so you're you're in the planning. You're planning all the planning the wedding. You're helping do all that and all. No, the I'm shebang. not doing any of that. I just just tell me where to go. I got to go get a suit because I don't own. <laughs> A suit anymore that you know that doesn't look like it was from you know 20 years ago so <laughs> yeah i'm i'm, I'm in the same boat because i've been in, i've been in two churches uh uh ministry before and where i'm at now to where i didn't have to wear a suit uh and i spent my uh seminary collecting sports coats and okay suits. I, yeah, I got a they, number of those but i don't have like a suit yeah, suit you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i collected those thinking i was gonna have to wear them a lot but uh, ended up not having to wear them at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and I can't fit in most of them anymore. So that's usually how it goes. But yeah, again, I, this like today, there's something that's been like on my heart for a while uh, and thinking through and processing. 
and we got, I'm surprised I didn't get inter- introduced to your book early on, The Gospel Driven Church. Uh, but we went over this uh, as a staff with the uh, local church where I'm at currently right now. Uh, and it really, really uh, impacted some of my process of thinking, and even for us as a staff. And it got me thinking, you mentioned in the book, uh, I know you wrote this a number of years ago. Uh, that's the reason why I said I'm surprised I haven't been introduced to it until recently. Uh, but you talked about this idea of attractional model a little bit, and you kind of correlated and connected it in some parts, a little bit. It's not quite in there, but a little bit to youth ministry. So I kind of want to ask the question, how would you describe an attractional model of ministry? Yeah, well, um, a lot of people define, well, not a lot. A few people define attractional probably in different ways. So I, I like to key in on uh, attractional as a paradigm, not as an effect. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. So a paradigm of ministry, philosophy of ministry that is derived, just as it sounds, is derived from the desire to attract people that the the um, the goal or w- one of the core goals of the ministry philosophy or the or the ministry paradigm of of attractional is to get people in the room to um uh you know the the of course the the means of that or the mechanism within the working ethos of of attractional uh tends to be um heavy emphasis on, on practicality to make things practical, but also that um, the attractional programming or attractional ministry itself would be practical, which I think um, bleeds into actually the spirit of pragmatism. Um, so we know what works, you know, we know how to get certain results and that's actually our aim is a certain number of people or, or an increasing number of people. And then also spirit of consumerism as well, because if the goal is to attract people um, and that's the, the primary motivator or the heart of, um, of the paradigm of attractional, then um, you'll begin to um, try to, to appeal to consumer tastes, to preferences, to, um, you know, different styles that would be of, you know, you know, different people's likings, that sort of thing. Um, that's the, the, I think the, um, the, you know, paradigm of attractional. Now guys like Tim Keller use the word attractional, I think in a different way, I actually find it, uh, you know, unhelpful. I, I love Tim Keller. I think he's the gospel centered, uh, Yoda. Uh, he, he, he is the guru. Uh, but in his book, Center Church, he talks about how a church must be attractional. And when you begin to read what he means by that, um, it, we have a perfectly good English word for what he's talking about, which is attractive. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, all he's done is taken the effect um, and turned it into sort of a principle, attractional. Um, and, and, and I agree with what he means. I, I, I don't like the terminology. I agree with what he means, which is that a church that is centered on Christ, that is engaged in mission, a church that is practicing the one another's, a church that is, um, you know, experiencing the aroma of Jesus because of their grace driven teaching and graciousness to, uh, towards each other is attractive. It, it, it has a, a magnetic quality to it. People, find a sense of belonging there and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but we also know, so this is why I don't think, you know, we, we should turn it into a, a principle or a paradigm. 
um, or make it the purpose uh, trying to attract people um, is is because we also know that the aroma of Christ uh, repels as well as attracts. We know that the, the cross of Christ is a stumbling block. That 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 those you know the, there are those who see the beauty of, of of Christ crucified, and there are those who see it as foolishness. So we can't really create a principle out of seeking um, to attract. That has to be the effect of um, of of other means. Yeah, I, I like the way you defined it. And the reason why I kind of wanted us to kind of hash out uh, this this definition of how, or how you specifically define attraction is because like anything, any you have to define your terms uh, because it means different things to different people. Because like, like if, when you talk about Tim Keller, that book particularly, some people, when you think attractional, that's that's what their definition or personal belief is. Yeah. Uh, where the other side of it is the negative side of what attractional definition of that as well. Yeah. And what Keller, I mean, Keller's view is essentially it's, it's the effect, right? It's the result. So it's the, it's the difference between saying, uh, because every pastor, every leader wants the room to be full. <laughs> we want people to want to come uh, to the service, to the program. We want our church to be growing the it's it's the attractional paradigm that says this is the whole point is filling the room up um it's the difference between seeing that as the byproduct of other of other points that's not the point but we pray that's the effect versus that's the point getting people in the room now that how we kind of we kind of hit on attractional what that model ministry is how how would you describe a gospel driven ministry yeah, so um, you know, at, at every every point along kind of the ministry mechanism, gospel centrality or gospel driven ministry, um, uh, tweaks something slightly and tweaks something significantly. So, uh, a gospel centered or gospel driven ministry is predicated on the idea that um, the finished work of Christ is not just the message by which lost people are saved but it is also the message by which saved people grow, uh, which is a pretty radical notion for um, even a lot of us who grew up in, in church. I mean, I, I was a Christian for a long time before I, I, you know, even saw that as a, as a reality or as an idea, <laughs> the, the idea, I mean, I, I thought for a long time that once I got saved, that was the last day I needed the gospel because it, it was just for the evangelistic enterprise to the lost. And, and once I got saved, then I move on to something else, to, you know, to other things. And what gospel-centered ministry says is, um, no, actually the gospel is for all of life. Therefore, it has to be um, the, the thing, the news around which um, all of our ministry uh, um, is, is oriented. And that has, you know, major, you know, so I tend to boil it down into three kind of major implications uh, because I think the idea of gospel centrality has become really vague just in the terminology, you know, not in the terminology, but in our understanding of it. So today when someone says, I, I, you know, my church is gospel centered or I'm a gospel centered leader or something, they typically mean that, that they align with a particular tribe that they're, you know, maybe they're mean that they subscribe to some kind of reform theology or something. But typically what they mean is I read these kind of books, listen to these kind of authors and podcasts. Uh, go to these kind of conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And, that, and that's all well and good. I'm, I'm grateful for the tribe. But 
if, if we don't actually define uh, the substance, the elements of gospel centrality, we're going to, you know, we run the risk of it just being some sort of superficial, um, you know, tribal identifier or worse, just a consumeristic thing that we slap on books like mine, gospel driven church and gospel driven ministry. So I boil it down in, into three major implications. Gospel centrality means number one, that, that the whole Bible is about Jesus, that the whole Bible, the culminating message is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, old Testament to new, the whole thing is about Jesus. Um, so that obviously has major impact on how we preach and teach um, you know, how we counsel and disciple. Uh, so in the attractional paradigm, it's very common to hear preaching and teaching that is oriented around kind of, uh, either moral uplift, inspirational, uh, practical, we're going to make the Bible relevant. So here's four steps to be a better, this or more successful that, or a healthier, more victorious, you know, something or other, the gospel centered paradigm would say, no, the whole point of, of any given Bible passage is is the freedom power uh, that we have through the good news of Jesus, and all the little practical bits are the implications of that, um, and so it has major effect on how we preach and teach the Bible. Um, secondly, uh, the second application of gospel centrality is that uh, people change by grace and not by law. Second um, Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen is by beholding the glory of Christ that we are transformed from one degree of glory into another into His likeness. Um, the, the very idea is that, um, you know, normally what we think in, especially in church circles, but even outside the way people change is you tell them to change <laughs> and, and you tell them in creative ways, and then you tell them how to change and you do that in creative ways or inspirational ways. And that's kind of what a lot of our preaching and teaching is, is oriented around is, um, is a kind of law. And the thing about the attractional church is, um, it actually kind of came out of the seeker church movement of kind of the late seventies, early eighties, all the way into kind of the early mid nineties, the, the seeker church movement, um, uh, kind of front loaded or, 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 you know, put in the spotlight, uh, teaching that was a, a response to kind of the fundamentalist kind of moralism from the you know, 50s, 60s, you know, seventies and eighties, the kind of don't do this, don't do that you know, thou shalt not, um, fear driven, that kind of thing. And what the seeker church did and the attractional church does now is say, that's really negative and it's kind of condemnatory and it's, you know, it's kind of a bummer. So instead of all of that, we're going to show you practical things to do to overcome, you know, your, your obstacles in life and to address your felt needs and those sorts of things. And what they don't realize, a lot of them anyway, is that it's not any less law than the other kind. It's just more positive. So, I mean, positive law is still law. And what the gospel center paradigm says is the you know, our obligation to the law and our obeying the law is an implication. It's a, it's a, res, a, a worshipful response to the main point, which is that the work is finished. Jesus Christ has accomplished and his power is available to us and it's his Holy spirit that is bearing fruit in us. And the way people actually change is not um, primarily by being told what to do a million times in different ways, but by being told that Jesus Christ has done what is needed to reconcile them to the father. That's counterintuitive. Um, the idea that we would get to work by knowing the work is finished. Doesn't make a lot of natural sense, which is why we don't instinctually go there very much in our preaching and teaching. 
But Paul and Titus too says that it's the grace of God that has appeared training us to renounce unrighteousness. So third major implication of gospel centrality is that our ultimate validation um, is found not in our performance or production, but in the finished work of Christ. And this, of course, is at the heart of justification, the doctrine of justification, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not it's not because of our works, but utterly by grace. But what the gospel-centered uh, a paradigm does is we take essentially the doctrine of justification and we push it out into every corner of of the human experience, of the Christian experience, and say, even if you were saved 20-some years ago, today your validation before God, his approval of you is not based on anything you do. It's not based on how you feel. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for you 2,000 years ago. The gospel covers you every day of your life. So that's kind of the the nutshell. I know I kind of ramble a little bit, but that's the nutshell of the essence of gospel centrality, and um, and obviously it has huge you know you know implications for how you do church. And that uh, when you were talking about um, again when we talk about attraction or gospel centrality, you, you mentioned moralism. Um, and again, the, what I'm about to say is based off of it's, it's a generalization, but it's based off. Uh, of personal perceptions and experience, um, to me at least, it seems like specifically student ministry, youth ministry, that uh, that we can fall in a rut of teaching more moralism uh, than teaching uh, gospel uh, centrality and gospel-driven uh, messages. The reason why I say that, and I'm using, again, in my own experience growing up in the 90s, uh, youth ministry in the 90s and early 2000s, and uh, what I experienced, and again, I don't, I don't say this is against my my youth pastor at the time. Great guy, great heart, God's in the heart. But it was it was a lot of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Um, yeah. Not a lot of gospel understanding and uh, the teaching, and and that's mostly what I took away from. Um, in my student ministry years is more of a moralism. Uh, and I even took that, uh, even when, for me, when I first started youth ministry, I took that mentality and that philosophy, started out doing the same thing uh, until uh, uh, various people much wiser than me uh, ex- and were sit me down and say, hey, that's not the wisest thing to do. Here's why. Uh, but I never actually thought through it. Even when I'm reading your, when I was reading your book, Grass Driven Church, it's like, man, that, that, in a lot of ways, was me early on in our in our when I was doing student ministry, and that kind of kind of falls in the next thing I want to ask is, and again, I I have an answer for this, and personally, uh, but I want to ask you is, do you think youth ministries over the years have adopted an attraction model when it comes to ministry, and if and if so, if that's the case, why do you believe youth ministries have latched to that model? Yeah, so not only do I think that they have latched that model it actually i think came out of student ministry culture in, into it didn't work the other way around um like it didn't begin in kind of the you know quote unquote big church circles and then seep into student ministry it actually started in kind of the the appeal to youth and youth ministry culture and 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 you know uh was was drawn upwards into the you know into big church um so you're looking if you're looking at the roots of of, of attractional 
Uh, I mean, theologically, historically, you can go back to like, you know, second great awakening and, 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 you know, things like that. But in, in more recent Western history in, in American history, you're looking at primarily late sixties into the late seventies, early eighties, right in the epicenter of, for instance, the Jesus, uh, movement in California, the Bible church movement, um, as well, the things that gave us the Calvary chapels and, you know, um, uh, vineyard and, uh, contemporary Christian music and, and, and all of that. Um, that was like major influence across the country and, and really around the world, but across the country, it's not the only place where this stuff sort of, um, you know, uh, kind of germinated, but that's kind of the major epicenter was on, on, on the Cal, you know, in California in kind of the uh, mid late seventies in particular, early eighties, you had uh, a desire to reach youth teenagers and 20 somethings um who were being attracted to kind of the hippie culture um you know and all you know all the dangers that were perceived real and imagined in in that um in that movement and so there were guys who thought we should be playing music that young people are attracted to let's let's make let's do rock and roll music about jesus um Let's do, um, let's create a hospitable environment. You know, let's create a um, hospitable environment for teenagers who don't feel comfortable walking into our, you know, our churchy kind of buildings and experiences. Now, a few years later, and I think heavily influenced by all of that, which was, you know, across the country, coffee shop or, or coffee house evangelism, music nights, uh, the, you know, youth ministry culture as we know it today, really began kind of in that environment. Um, and so a few years later, you have a guy like Bill Hybels, um, and he's not the only guy, but at the time, you know, he he would become the leading practitioner of the seeker church kind of, uh, you know, paradigm. Um, shortly after him, uh, you know, names like Rick Warren, and then, of course, after them, a few others. But in, in, in the beginning, <laughs> you, have a, you have a Bill Hybels, um, shortly thereafter, a Rick Warren, but Hybels is a guy who, before he started Willow Creek Community Church, which became one of the largest churches in America and, and the leading pioneer of seeker church, eventually attractional church type ministry, he was asking questions like, "Why can't I? You know, why don't I or my other uh, college age friends feel comfortable bringing our friends to church? We need to create an environment in which they feel comfortable coming. So, how can we tailor?" Um, you know, the youth group experience, the college ministry experience, they were meeting in basements. Um, and that's, and that's the beginning of it. And so it kind of has bubbled up. A lot of us grew up in churches where the Sunday morning experience was still very traditional, very churchy, very religious. Um, and on Wednesday night, you would go to this youth group meeting that was completely off the walls. It was, it was just bananas. Um, and, 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 and there'd be teaching and those sorts of things, but you would sing stupid songs. I mean, looking back genuinely, these songs were stupid. I think the songs that are being sung today are vastly superior, um, to the songs that we sang when I was 16 and 17 years old, we were zooming around the room. We were singing about Pharaoh, Pharaoh. We, you know, it just, it would, the whole thing was, was just so goofy. And we did stupid games, you know, um, 
and we had uh you know it was the you know the cool environment the whole church looks like a mausoleum until you walk into the youth room and then you've got tie-dye stuff on the walls and everything so and, and all that's fine i'm not trying to be critical about those you, you know that kind of thing aesthetics or whatever but that's actually where it began brother like so what happened i think was the youth ministry began to grow up and they were not well discipled for what is supposedly supposed to take place on the other side of youth ministry. And so consequently they started changing church to look more like youth ministry and the youth ministers became pastors and we're trying to, and are now trying to do church the way they did youth ministry and the kids grew up and they're not uh, um, acclimated to, to a church experience as different than what they've been, you know, enculturated or, or, or inculcated towards in youth ministry and so youth ministry has actually transformed you know big church as opposed to the other way around yeah i would i would have to highly agree with that i mean i want to get good i wanted your intake uh, before i before i kind of give mine uh, on that as well because man uh again there, there's a big huge shift i really believe and uh, there is a shift in student ministry because uh, we, a lot of people are finally starting to realize that uh, what we have been doing is not working. Um, when you look at statistically, you look generationally, every generation more and more gets more and more unreached, biblically illiterate, and it's getting worse and worse generation by generation. So obviously what we have been doing is not working. It wasn't working then, even though we thought it was working because we have bodies in the room. Um, right. But as the, these kids that were in the 80s, 90s, or now adults were realizing, hey, what we were doing really was not working. Because um, by the time we get, uh, the time they go to college, we, we, we were seeing, we were seeing back then, even we're seeing it now, uh, they don't understand what church is. They understand what youth ministry or student ministry is, uh, but they don't understand what it means to be part of the body of Christ, part of the church. Um, and Anyway, it, it's just a lot. But the neat thing that's happening in the really the last five, five, maybe 10 years is that we're seeing a shift in a lot of mindsets of student ministry organizations, uh, realizing that the priority needs to be really be diving in and investing into parents with the primary disciples of the home. So we're, we're seeing a big, huge shift. And it's encouraging to see, to see that shift. But at the same time, I, I would have to absolutely agree with you um, that youth ministry uh mentality has seeped into church-wide mentality um and not for the better but to me towards the detriment of seeing people discipled and growing in their faith we're actually it's actually we're actually seeing the exact opposite of that in our culture and i and i hope and i pray to god i pray to god every day that it changes and i say i think do see some good things and good movements uh in our culture that's changing um but I'm, I pray every day that mentality is seeped out of the church because it's not effective. Uh, worried about bodies in a room, um, not how many people you have showing up on Sunday. It's not a metric of, of healthy, of a healthy church or a healthy ministry. Um, the metric that we need to look at, which is hard to measure, is are people taking their next steps in the faith? And that's and that's ridiculously hard to measure, but that is what we should be concentrating more rather than bodies in a room. That's right. And I, 
next thing I want to add, just pick your brain on it is, and kind of ask too, is can, and this is actually was asked to me by a pastor uh, <laughs> who, because uh, actually, actually uh, as uh, he was also read your book and had this question as, as well, uh, when it comes to traction or gospel driven, is can a church be both attractional and gospel driven? Yeah, my answer is no, for the reason that um, I gave in the beginning about my definition, uh, because they're they're at cross purposes in terms of their you know working you know ethos. Um, a, the attractional ministry paradigm is built on pragmatism. The um, you know gospel center paradigm is 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 built on the power of of the gospel. Now, if you're defining attractional the way, like for instance, Tim Keller does, which just means that we want to be hospitable, welcoming, you know, to, to outsiders, coherent. I mean, Paul has direct instructions for us in 1 Corinthians 14 about our services, our gatherings being art, um, uh, articulate enough or um, orderly enough that an outsider or an unbeliever um, can, you know, can follow along, has a basic uh, you know, clarity about what's happening. Now, obviously people who, um, you know, don't know, you know, all the, you know, theological terms and churchy words and those sorts of things, um, just as any of us walking into a foreign environment, you know, we're not going to understand everything. Um, but the very fact that he uses the word outsider um, to, you know, to me is indicating that the gathering is not primarily for those folks, but he's giving us instructions on how to be hospitable towards them and welcoming towards them and gracious towards them. That's generally um, the kind of attractiveness that we ought to have as people formed by the gospel, um, thinking through the presence of unbelievers in the room that we would in our preaching address apologetic questions, questions of doubt, things that that might come up in uh, as we're you know teaching a particular text or or teaching a particular subject uh, that where we define terminology well just being mindful of people in the room at different stages on their faith journey that sort of thing Th that kind of attractive is actually a byproduct of being gospel centered because you're trying to be gracious towards people you're, you're centered around grace um, the kind of attractiveness that happens just by people who who love one another and are practicing the one another's that can be attractive to outsiders that um, has, as I said, kind of a magnetic quality to it, but building everything around filling the room up, trying to attract in particular, trying to attract um, unbelieving consumers. We're going to, we're going to do our music this way to attract people. We're going to do our teaching this way to attract people. We're going to do this, this way to attract people. That is a, is antithetical to gospel centrality, because what we're saying in, in gospel centrality is we're, we are called to be faithful. We're going to leave it up to God, whether we're successful. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that. Um, it kind of, there's a, there's a little a statement or phrase that we use here in the podcast with my podcast. So, uh, David's, we, we, uh, we use the phrase, uh, in a negative way is a pizza party youth group. Uh, a pizza, pizza party youth group. Because uh, again, this is something that's been brought up over the years. I mean, the reason why I say this and I pick on pizza and, it, and use pizza parties because over the years, being in student ministry, youth ministry, I've had parents and uh, pastors come up to me and say, "Hey, you should provide food 
to get kids to come. Fry food to get kids to come. And, and what's interesting is you used a phrase in your book that I've always used, but I saw it in your book. It's like, man, that <laughs> you must, you probably came up with it before me, but um, what attracts somebody is how you keep them. What you attract them with is how do you, you keep them. So as a, as a youth leaders, as youth pastors and youth leaders, uh, we need to be very careful of, of really conscientious of what are we attracting them with? Are we attracting them with the gospel of Jesus? Are we with the passion of growing their faith? Or are we attracted them with, uh, with elements like pizza or whatnot? You, put, you fill in the blank. And, and it's something that I've had over the years I've really had to really think through is what kind of ministry am I building? Am I building a ministry that's attracting kids to, a certain, uh, to certain aspects of my ministry, whether it's being food, uh, music, or is it, the, or is it Jesus Christ? Um, so I absolutely agree with that. And, but, and when you pointed that out, it may just maybe kind of hint that, uh, think about that a little bit more. But one thing I want to ask too is again, that we were going through attractional gospel driven. We're kind of, uh, kind of talk about the difference between the two. Uh, but those who, uh, those, uh, the, who are wondering maybe how in the world do we, do I build a gospel driven ministry? What are some maybe some practical steps that a youth leader can take to foster a gospel-driven ministry? Yeah, well, because it's um, can be for a lot of folks a significant shift. I mean, it, it, it's because it's a different ministry paradigm. Um, it probably involves uh, a lot of upfront explanation. Uh, it certainly has to begin with a with a real conviction that this isn't just a different style I want to try, or um, this seems to be a part of the trend of the guy, you know, among the guys that I, you know, pay attention to online. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try it. It really needs, you know, needs to be born of a conviction theologically that um, this is the way uh, the Holy Spirit grows people, changes people, wins people to Jesus, that sort of thing. So it needs to be, you know, conviction born, you know, uh, it, it needs to be well explained to leaders that you're not kind of running ahead of all your volunteers and leaders. So maybe some training, um, some teaching of leaders and, and, and perhaps even, you know, you know, parent volunteers, um, you know, other ministry volunteers, certainly um, those above you as well. If you report to a senior pastor or, or you know, family ministries pastor or others. Um, that they're on board with this, that they're, you know, that you're not going to be running into, you know, the buzzsaw of, of trying to change things that are, you know, too contrary to the spirit of your church or uh, are going to get the pastor's inbox full of angry parent emails, you know, um, that sort of thing. Cause you took the games away and the kids are upset or whatever it is. Um, you know, just some good communication on the front end, trying to do this without actually bringing people on board and alongside you. Uh, and that's just true of any kind of congregational change or any kind of ministry change is, is not just out there trying to charge the field on your own, but, you know, getting in a huddle for as long as it takes to make sure everyone's on the same page using the same playbook. Um, but then after that, sort of the, you know, the implementation, brother, I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having pizza at youth group. The difference is, are you, are you supplying pizza as just a means of hospitality um, or are you supplying pizza as bait? <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. There's a, there's a difference in, in the ad or the you know, webpage or whatever that says 
pizza, games, you know, et cetera, you know, video games, uh, you know, uh, music, that kind of thing. And, you know, that, you know, that says, you know, teaching, discipleship, whatever. And, you know, it says pizza provided or, or, or meal provided or, so, or something like that. You know, it's, it's totally fine. I think it's totally fine to play games. I, you know, it, you know, um, you know, some of these things, it's, it's, it's a matter of what you're trusting. What are you putting your trust in? It's, it's not simply a matter of, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, you know, it's not a bad thing that we have certain kind of lighting in our churches or different things like that. The, the question is why, why are you using that? How are you using it? Where are you putting your trust? So it's, it's not a matter of declaring, you know, some foods clean or unclean or, or anything like that. Uh, it's just a matter of like, where, where are you putting your trust? And so there are, you know, some practical things that need to take place. Um, you know, maybe the percentage of time you spend in a, uh, at a youth group meeting or, you know, um, at a gathering per se, those percentages need to shift in terms of how much time we spend on fun versus teaching, how much time we spend on food versus discipleship, you know, those sorts of things. Can we make some shifts like that? Probably the major shift, as you kind of indicated, is just um, in how we teach, right? Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to do, I think, you know, expositional sermons, on, you know, in a youth group setting. Although I think sometimes those can be a, a good model and preparation. You're shaping folks for their experience outside a youth group. One of the biggest problems we face, I think, in terms of the dropout rate is the student ministry experience is so siloed from the body of Christ and, and, and apart from the experience of the church. So no wonder when kids come up out of youth group, they haven't been one to the church. They were one to a ministry, you know, to a youth group experience. And now they're out of that and they, they're not, you know, they don't feel compelled to be a part of a church because they never really were a part of a church. They were a part of a youth group. So, you know, are there things you can do to kind of ease that transition? But certainly um, trading in moralism for, uh, you know, for grace driven teaching, for showing Jesus over and over again, for making sure people know Jesus is the point. Um, you know, 10 years or so ago, brother, um, as the True Love Waits people began to kind of analyze their data, um, you know, the results of their, you know, long, long and um, very expensive campaign, very popular campaign to get teenage, you know, Christian teenagers to commit to abstinence before marriage, they discovered that the results were terrible. <laughs> that, yep. um, they, it didn't have really any demonstrable effect. And, uh, and, and, you know, which I'm sure is just, you know, was a huge shock to their system. And in fact, I remember talking to, um, uh, this was about 10 years ago, one of the guys who was at the time, the head of the true love, love weights organization, and they were in the midst of revamping their entire approach there. And, and they were going to produce new curriculum. And, um, ostensibly they were w wondering if I would contribute to the, you know, this curriculum and, and. As it happened, I didn't, you know, I didn't have time to, you know, to add that to my plate. But what he said was really fascinating, which was we discovered that true love weights doesn't work. Uh, people who sign these cards, wear these rings, et cetera, they have statistically the same rate of premarital sex as they did before the movement. And as you, um, to some extent, even, even as the outside world. Um, and so what they did was they looked to see, okay, the kids who did keep the commitment, what was it that really made the difference? Um, and, and what they discovered was it, it wasn't a fear or guilt driven, 
uh, kind of motivator. It wasn't, you know, the moralism of you're going to be a dirty sinner. You need to be pure for your marriage. You need to, you know, all these sorts of things. The, the motivator was those kids had vital, substantive closeness with Jesus. They had, they invested in their personal relationship with Christ. That's what made the major difference. And that's, if, if, you know, I mean, that's just an illustration of kind of what we need to bring into a student ministry today is to our kids need Jesus and not in the tacked on at the end of a moralistic message kind of way, but in a hold him up as the, the end all be all for every message, every talk kind of way. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you talk about true love weight movements. And again, this has nothing to do with the topic. I just, when you mentioned it, uh, just made me think, uh, uh, Sean McDowell actually took that on. And, did the curriculum Chase and Love, wrote the book Chase and Love, and did the curriculum of Lifeway, uh, kind of connected with that. And we're actually going, th- as a student uh, as a student ministry right now, we're actually going to go through that curriculum here soon. Oh, nice. Very, okay. very much different than True Love Weights. Very, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that back in the 90s and even the early 2000s. I've gone through it twice, and it's, uh, yeah, so I totally agree with that, and I'm glad you pointed that out, because that's that's another example of, of, of a moralistic teaching that just, with good intentions, great intentions, yeah. uh, just not effective because it doesn't it doesn't fix the problem, which which is which is uh, basically not truly surrender your life to Christ, and not in every aspect of your life, and not, not going back to a gospel understanding. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that. So, so uh, Jared, as we kind of get to close a little bit, um, if somebody wants to get connected with you either to talk more about this topic um what you're doing i know you've been throwing out books out there to talk uh uh i think you got a new book that a new word book should say that popped up after right after this and um just gotta connect with you and pick your brain or have more questions what's a good way to get connected with you yeah you could go to jaredcwilson.com jaredcwilson.com has um you know all my books, my speaking schedule, contact information, links to all the different neat stuff that I you know, put out into the world, all that kind of thing. So jaredcwilson.com is really the place to go. Well, Jared, I just want to thank you for taking your time to come out on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. I enjoyed it. Man, that I, I love Jared's heart, his insight, and I learned a lot just from talking to him. Again, I read his book, uh, you know, dive into that. And I just had, I had questions just from reading his book, which I thought was a phenomenal insight on gospel-driven, tractional, what the difference between the two, and just really in what a, a gospel-central a centrality, what that looks like uh, within church life. Um, and man, I, I, just, I think I'm thankful for his his input on this and this topic, his heart into it, seeing churches um, move more towards a gospel-centered church. And again, that's that's something that shouldn't be really be talked about. It should be common sense. We're we're the church. We're we're to follow Christ, and we're to practice Matthew eighteen to mm-hmm. make disciples, to make Christ known to the world, the world around us. Uh, but in practicality, I don't think we're doing that well. Like for when I think we, I mean the church at large, doing that well, at least in America. I don't yeah. think we're doing. I think I would agree with that generally. Um, I think there's an aspect of this that he kind of hit on several times throughout your conversation. Um, We've, we've, for some reason, I guess I'll stick with the church in America. 
we decided at some point to try to figure out how to make the gospel more palatable and more um, attractive. Um, but the gospel itself is attractive to those who are being called and it's repulsive to those who hate God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think what happened is in this journey to try to make it more palatable or like try to couch it in easier terms to swallow, um, we've moved away from actually understanding what the gospel is. And so we've lost the ability to articulate it because we've lost the ability to actually understand it. And when we get to that point, um, we're stuck in this cycle. I did think it was kind of interesting that he mentioned that a lot of the stuff that happened with um, the church happened because it happened in youth ministry first and it, and it eked into the rest of the church. Um, because that's led to uh, not, not like an intentional watering down of the gospel, unless that's what you're actually doing. Um, but it's led to um, this this like uh, a weirdly soft understanding of what the gospel actually is to the point where we can't even articulate it anymore because we don't actually understand the grace of the gospel. So hopefully uh, that conversation uh, was something that kind of ignited something in your mind and in your heart. Uh, I hope that you are able to articulate the gospel because you understand the gospel. And uh, we hope that this episode uh, was encouraging to you today as you try to minister to your teens and your parents in your ministries. Um, and uh, we are grateful. I uh, thank you guys for your patience over the, the break, over the holidays. Uh, and uh, we're grateful for your listening to the podcast. If you haven't yet, um, please take some time uh, after you listen or while you're listening to leave a comment or star review on Apple Podcasts uh, so we can hear from you. Uh, and uh, we can adjust things if necessary. Um, it'll allow us to, to keep our content fresh, and it will also allow us to keep our content near the top of the search results so when people are looking for solid youth ministry content, they can find us. Um, and if there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you want us to rehash, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so if you want to connect with us on Facebook, we have a Youth and Culture Facebook group. Uh, we also have the page if you want to share that with friends um, as well. Uh, but Ryan and I would love to connect with you uh, either through that or on Instagram. Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.